Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Have you seen this? I'm Jennifer Albright. Tim is not with us today, but we do have a special guest. Before I get to that, though, I want to shout out a couple of our patrons who just joined us. If you go over to patreon.com slash have you seen this, you can join a bunch of other fine folk who are giving $2 a month, supporting the show and getting cool bonus content. I would like to thank uh, Nick B and PJ for your support. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, it's really helpful to have people supporting the show. Like I'm finally covering the cost of hosting the show, which has run me up to, geez, um, more than $500 at this point. So I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Um, and again, that is patreon.com slash have you seen this. Okay, today we've got a really fascinating bit of propaganda to discuss, a really insidious one. And to help me out with that, I've got a guest Melly Macker. Hey, what's up? Thanks for coming on, Melly. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, what do you do? I worked in reproductive justice for Planned Parenthood Arizona for about two years. Um, and I recently left and I'm currently working in eastern Wyoming to like start an abortion fund. And also I just write a lot about, you know, the contemporary abortion debate. Awesome. And uh, your Twitter handle is Apono West. So if you want to follow Melly, you can do that there. And uh, what are we talking about today, Melly? Um, so we're talking about a fascinating little movie called The Silent Scream. It's basically a pro-life propaganda piece that was created in the 1980s, right after like the prevalence of um, ultrasound technology came into like a more prominent role in develop like um, pregnancy and developmental medicine. And so like with the ultrasound, the pro-life movement was able to really like utilize this as a visual aspect for um, being able to look at and personify what a fetus actually was. And so um, they, they took this technology and sort of weaponized it in the form of this movie called The Silent Scream, in which a former, um, he's, a, he's an obstetrician, and um, a former NARAL board member. I think he was one of the founding members. Yeah, he um, founded it in 1969, I believe. Yeah. He basically talks really slowly and really just ex- in the most boring, placid tone um, about this horrible murder that happens. And um, he talks at the very beginning about like fetology which is a a very interesting branch of medicine that nobody really talks about or discusses so much as like um, pro-life people yeah it's more it's one of those like really abstract like you know like brain science or something like that where it's not really generally accepted but in this movie it's it's portrayed to be like this very important aspect of um prenatal developmental health. Uh, yeah, so he, he describes what an ultrasound is and then what an abortion is. And then he shows you an ultrasound video of an abortion while narrating it the whole time. 
narrating it very slowly and lugubriously. Like if this right. motherfucker talked a little faster, this shit would have been like 20 minutes instead of 30, but Oh my god, my favorite part is like at the very <laughs> beginning when he just like walks on the screen and he's silent for like 10 and a half seconds. <laughs> like just feeling where his desk is, sort of looking over his shoulder coyly, and then he gets comfortable and he's like, "Hello." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so much to talk about the presentation of this film the presentation of the visuals and like what that means for its propaganda purposes because the person we're talking about is uh bernard nathanson um obstetrician and um anti-abortion activist um motherfucker died in 2011 fuck him forever um (laughs) so um as the host of this and, and narrator of this film, he presents this very authoritative sort of image. He, you know, walks into like uh, this a very proper looking doctor's office. He speaks with great gravity and solemnity um, while using like the most ridiculous, like highly charged language. Like I just kept writing down his insane quotes, um, you know, about killing referring to the fetus as the child yeah Um, i wanted to i wanted to go through and actually tally all of the times that he says the child because he only he'll refer it's like every sentence like every time he refers to a fetus hypothetically or um he refers to a pregnancy in general or like when he's going through the actual ultrasound every time he points at the thing he's like this is where the child and this is the head of the child and you can see here the child and it's like what dude like we get we get it <laughs> <laughs> it is very funny too because um you know obviously he's kind of our um you know he's our virgil kind of leading us through this demonic world of abortion you know albeit in this really dry way but um you know he's sitting there and pointing with this little pointer um to the ultrasound on the screen and all i can think of when and i i believe that ultrasound has progressed quite a bit since the 80s so we're talking we're and this film came out in 1984 but looking at the ultrasound on the screen it i just kept thinking of that old meme with like ray charles with like broken jpeg uh pictures like pasted over his eyes it just says i can't see shit because i'm like you <laughs> yeah know, it just looks it's, like a tv screen with static on it right i i made uh, a joke on twitter yesterday that like old ultrasounds they look like the seeing eye <laughs> thing like the 3d oh the magic thing eye thing. draw it away and there would be like yeah, like if you stare at it long enough, like you'll see something, I swear. Yeah. But it's really it's just like weird lines. Yeah. And you alluded to this before about kind of like the weaponization of the ultrasound. Um like it's it's less a tool uh for medicine than, you know, this weird invasive visualization which is supposed to induce like a bad feeling in the viewer. Like we're supposed to look at these blobs and feel like this intense grief and rage about this as you know as uh nathanson puts it um a child that's being torn apart dismembered disarticulated crushed and destroyed i mean those are that's literally a sentence that he says right it's like it's interesting to to listen to the language especially because like so so first of all like there hasn't been like a replica of this 
And you're right, ultrasound technology is way better. And part of the reason for that is that, like, abortion providers aren't going to really do this. Um, They're not going to do an ultrasound while they're also doing, like, a a later term um, abortion procedure. Mm -hmm. Because there are so few doctors that do it that, and, you know, they're all very tight-knit now because they don't want people coming in and recording and things like that for the purpose of the weaponization of stuff like this. Um, And the pro-life movement isn't going to, they're not going to, like, recreate um, an abortion because it's murder, obviously. Um, <laughs> and in order to do this, but like also the ultrasound technology that we have now is it's much better. Like I recently had one for non-pregnancy related reasons and you can like, like the visualization of things are in 3d in real time. And you can actually like see the movement of like your pancreas and stuff. Um, but that actually detracts from, from, the success of something like, like the silent scream, because it's a visualization that has to be dictated to you so that your brain thinks that you're actually seeing something because you're being told what you're seeing, but you're not actually seeing any of that. You're just seeing a bunch of like scribbles and lines. I actually, I, I am a little bit of a ghoul and, you know, I've seen a lot of, you know, medical imagery online. Some of it very disturbing um these kind of looks inside the body are are very interesting uh to me um you know because especially as an artist like um you know hu- the human body is is extremely interesting and, and fascinating to me but the, like i don't even i i don't even know how to how to quantify it like it just seems like such like a tempest in a teapot to me, like that we're extrapolating so much from these very obscure images as they're being narrated to us by this, again, this very authoritative sonorous figure. Um, And we also shouldn't, um, we also should take into account um, a lot of the presentation of the film where you get that really, cheesy kind of gentle music where you see a woman getting an ultrasound like during a pregnancy um practically the only time that we see a woman in the film like she's pretty absent during the discussion of the actual procedure which right which is kind of how this movement functions and then i mean also there's there's a lot of there's that montage at the very end that's just a bunch of concerned women's faces yeah like sad 80s women like looking into the distance (laughs) yeah there's like one lady who's like in her bed just like looking down and then there's like several women like on the exact same patio, <laughs> but in like different bites. <laughs> like, like we, oh, like, and one of them has like the poodle hair and she's really forlorn. Yeah. Like that's kind of funny. Like, like, Oh, we invited five or six women who were extremely sad about their abortions to hang out on this patio. And you know, cause I mean, yeah, but are they like, like who are those people? You don't actually know who they are. It's implied that, that these, this is the sorrow that women feel. It's, it's a bunch of white women, <laughs> looking sadly off into the distance. That's what that's what will happen to you if you get an abortion. Would you like to sit on a patio and be sad? It's a beautiful day. Yeah, it's like I'm I'm totally I'm unforgivably blanking on the name of the experiment on the on the experiment, but it's the the editing experiment where you show um you know, you show like a plate of food and then you cut to a man 
like looking into the camera and you know the implication being like oh like this man looks hungry when it's it's just like the juxtaposition of the images it's like well i've just seen you know 30 minutes of a guy talking about the horrors of abortion like but and look how sad these women are now, obviously yeah. they're very sad about these the the genocide that's being carried out every day and his like he as he's talking over these images of women because none of them speak like there's it's only him talking ever well why would you talk um, to a woman you don't need to <laughs> he's talking about like his just insane conspiracy theories about like black market abortions um abortion as like this amazing mega million dollar industry where they're making tons of money by duping women and they're not informing them properly also the problem is capitalism yeah like (laughs) hmm you're right actually this should be free yes exactly free and on demand i mean what's the problem yeah great i completely agree with that but um yeah he's like they just didn't understand the ramifications of what would happen to them afterwards uh many of them didn't uh, they didn't have the procedure actually adequately explained to them Oh, just to back up for a second, like while he's explaining what the abortion procedure is before he he actually shows you the ultrasound video, he's talking you through it, but then it cuts to a scene in a doctor's office and you see like a woman's legs in stirrups and the doctor performing the procedure and there's blood everywhere. Mm hmm. And he's being handed like different items that he's then just ramming into her <laughs> vagina like as hard as he can, but they very, and as fast as he can. Yeah, but they very thoughtfully censored the woman's vulva. Right, of course. Because yeah, we can see the and, blood, but, like, we can't see a pussy, because that's that would be vulgar. Right. And just, like, the, the like, very harsh and, like, angry-seeming, like, stabbing <laughs> motions, like... This is what's gonna happen to your pussy if you can <laughs> if you get an abortion. You're just gonna be stabbed repeatedly and a lot of blood's gonna come out. And it's like that you only see that like scene in that room like twice and you know it was because like they had a hard time actually capturing what they wanted to without making it look too fake. I did find myself wondering how they procured that footage. I mean I think they made it. It begs the question about something that Nathanson says early on in the film, which is, oh, the when we were editing this, the man who performed the procedure that you see in the ultrasound was so affected by it that he had to leave the room. Oh, yeah, for the ultrasound video. And the woman who got the procedure, who was a feminist, uh, she was so powerfully affected that she never spoke about abortion again. Well, like how, okay, first of all, (laughs) how long is it from like the time that you actually made this, this ultrasound video until you actually made this video? And Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, so like, what is the never period of time there? Um, Also, is that true? And that's that's the part that really gets me is that like ostensibly the the patient would have signed off on something like this. Yes. But would have been kept anonymous. Same with the doctor. Yes. Um, and that would have been part of the agreement for it. Mm-hmm. And so like there's no real way for that individual to then like, I don't know, sue <laughs> Yeah. for defamation. Like, because you're not really talking about anybody. You're kind of signing away your rights to that. Like when when you decide to hand something over like this for anonymity purposes Mm -hmm. um so he could have just made it all up and that would have been totally fine (laughs) yeah like my um because my 
immediate feeling is like, well, like, dude, you could just be totally bullshitting us. Like, which, you know, I mean, the whole thing is bullshit, but, you know, to say like, oh, yeah, like, no, like, he completely repudiated his profession. But, um, and what I thought was it's like, okay, well, you know, if you're filming this procedure and you're Bernard Nathanson of, you know, the, I forget what organization he was a part of, but, you, you know, you're like a an anti-abortion organization, you're probably working with some people who are already sympathetic to your cause. Maybe. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that would have to be the case. Yeah, and I, I I looked around a little bit to see if I could find anything about the, you know, the, the people who would have participated in this, but I wasn't able to find very much. I'm sure that they played that all, like, extremely close to the vest. Mm-hmm. For a lot of different reasons so you know who knows like maybe the guy actually literally did have some kind of like crisis of faith and morals in the editing room but you know, who who the, who the fuck knows i mean and obviously that is a thing like you know somebody like you could have like an OBGYN who's performed like thousands of abortions and suddenly says oh no this is wrong but it's like you know what about all the people in the you know, physicians like in the AMA who are like, no, this is absolutely necessary medical care for people with uteruses. Right. And like, I mean, uh, the National College of Obstetricians obviously is like the thing that you should look at for an objective view. I don't even really like the AMA's position on a lot of this stuff because it's they're mm-hmm. primarily a political entity. Um, OK, really yeah, I representative just... of voices of doctors. Yeah, I'm evoking them because they in the research that I've done, they've come up a lot as kind yeah. of the opposition to the anti-abortion crew. I don't know how that, uh, um, you know, you have a little bit more insight than me. I was mainly looking at um, materials dealing with the, the 20th century up till the making of this film. So, yeah, and they are yeah. going to be like, they're going to be far more um, neutral about the subject because it is like when you, it really comes down to it, it's just a medical procedure. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and that's the way that most doctors view it. Even, like, you know, even to some extent, people who can be personally pro-life but also be doctors in their own field, like, they're going to have the, well, this is a medical procedure rather than, you know, just, like, a straight-up murder or whatever. Right. Um, people don't usually come out acting like this dude. Um, or, like, another one who's relevant right now is Abby Johnson. Um, she was a former, she was actually a director of a Planned Parenthood clinic. Um, and she had like a nervous breakdown. And um, so like a little bit of um, her psychological faculties are a little bit, you know, she might not, she might've had an episode Mm -hmm. that, (laughs) that changed her perspective on this. That was kind of more personal than she really lets on. But Mm -hmm. um, like she wrote an article one time and then she got picked up by the like extremely well-funded pro-life machine and is now giving talks and there was a movie mm-hmm. made about her and like like there's it's it's incredibly lucrative to be one of those doctors who just decides you know what fuck it i'm going to opt out right and, yeah well and like let's and again um one thing that i want people to to keep in mind for uh listening to this discussion is the the idea of narrative um because um I mean, Silent Scream is a polemic, but it also, in a way, kind of misrepresents itself as being a factual, scientific depiction of what happens 
um, during an abortion, you know, which is why they have a doctor talking to you. You know, it's why he explains in technical terms, like the procedure that occurs. It's why we have the ultrasound. It's like, oh no, like this is, this is medical fact. This is actually what happens. You know, so that's one part of the narrative. And then also, um, another thing which is very key to the, um, the anti-abortion narrative is they love people who were like Nathanson or like Abby Johnson, people who were um, deep in the uh, abortion rights movements, but had a change of heart because like, it sounds good. It's, it's kind of like the ultimate Trump card where it's like, well, this person was totally forward to the point where they performed or helped women to get abortions but you know then they saw the light because they saw how terrible it actually is yeah and a lot of times they they saw the light of jesus um <laughs> yeah like, like he appeared to them um, in a dream or some that. shit like <sighs> <laughs> yeah and um i like they they don't like a religion isn't evoked at all in this particular bit of propaganda i think um you know because they were he, he doesn't okay he doesn't go like he doesn't go whole hog into the, like, you know, Christ doesn't want this language, <laughs> but he does talk about, like, he mentions God several times, um, and he brings up ethics and morality a lot, and, right. you know, it's implied that those ethics and those morality moralities are grounded in christian ethics right he he harks to it he and like you know it's i'm i'm very used to hearing dog whistles and everything but this is a giant like <laughs> air horn oh um, no 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 question there and it was like, written absolutely. by christianists and so like it's it's you kind of have to look for it but it's definitely there in terms of like this is the thing that they they wanted it to be um a narrative that was more available to a secular audience so that it could gain political traction. Um, right. This is also like one of the very first um, iterations of like the the science is on our side debate uh, that's been ongoing forever and is still going and it's driving me insane um, <laughs> because they were like this is this was this was a radical thing for them. This was just as important as like you know turncoat doctors. Um, this was like this was they could turn it into tangible proof that science was saying. Um, because if we're having this argument in a scientific, from a scientific perspective about viability and, you know, developmental weeks and uh, trimesters and things like that, like there has to be science rooted in it. And um, that's because they want to always draw this whole thing back to um, when does life actually begin? And he doesn't actually posit that question anywhere. I mean, I think that he might say, like, at one point, like, you know, this is a child. Like, he says that this mm -hmm. is a child, implying, like, life begins here. It, it begins here or before this. Um, and so having, and, like, that's where the pro-life movement really likes to have the debate centered. Um, that's where the debate has been primarily centered for, like, 30 freaking years. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, this is the same boring discussion that we're having today about like, you know, when is it okay to have an abortion uh, based on um, life at, at whichever developmental point. And their argument is always going to be life at conception. And, and the rebuttal to that for a really long time um, from like pro-abortion people is like, well, science says. And so if they, mm -hmm. they, from, from the pro-life 
perspective, if they can just get science to say whatever they want it to say, they're good as gold and they can convince more people. And that's actually like, as we've seen in the past 30 years, has been really successful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And we've talked, um, we've talked on the show before about, um, in previous episodes, we've touched upon, um, the importance of the evangelical movement to politics in this country. Yeah. Um, this is just kind of one iteration of that. And I think, and this came out kind of at the, this kind of came out at a point when they were really starting to feel themselves, which again, 1984, um, you know, Reagan's first term. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this movie was apparently screened at the white house by Reagan. Right. Yeah. And you know, it was, you know, it was like Woodrow Wilson saying, uh, Birth of a Nation was history written in lightning. Um, Reagan was like, oh, you know, everyone in Congress should screen this because, and then like abortion would end tomorrow or whatever. That senile old fuck. But whatever, anyway. Dude. I wonder like which hole in his brain inspired that. Um. <laughs> what about, what about the worms in your brain, Ronnie? Don't they have a right to life? Um, but yeah, so this was, I, you know, this is kind of a, a, a key point in, you know, like a politicized, like evangelical moment in this, in this country, you know, and the eighties was when it really started to consolidate. Um, and, you know, uh, the pro-life movement was just, you know, kind of like one, one tentacle of, you know, kind of like the, the return of reactionary politics in America, like after, you know, there was obviously, you know, in 72, you had Roe versus Wade and, you know, kind of in the wake of, um, you know, loosening of like very strict, um, you know, rules of like, uh, sexual conduct and marriage and stuff like that. But I'm rambling. Yeah. But Um, like, like abortion is, is generally considered like the, that's the centerpiece of mm -hmm. what, um, the the quote unquote family rights movement was really all about, and that's because they were able to be like, look, all of these things, you know, if you're gay, um, if like honestly, if you're a mixed race couple, they mm-hmm. they had problems with that, um, you know, people wearing indecent clothing, things like that, were all like, they were important facets of what their socially conservative movement was based in, but then they could be like. And look at what all of this leads to. It leads to abortion, which is Mm -hmm. the murder of innocent children. Um, Right. And yeah, like, you know, having that standard to rally about in 19, like in the 1980 election um, is really like one of the things that gave Reagan such a big boost was that he, because he was also... The the interesting thing about Reagan, um, before his brain had decayed and he started running for president, like when he was governor of Colorado or California, um, mm-hmm. he signed some of the most progressive um, pro-abortion bills that the country had ever seen mm-hmm. um, before Roe. So, um, you know, like, well, he came from Hollywood, and um, you know, like any other. Uh, you know, kind of group of, uh, powerful, wealthy people, like they're the, uh, the need to procure abortion for their mistresses is very important. So yeah, it's probably and coming from that. Like, honestly, like <laughs> I'm only half joking. No, you're not. You're, I don't think you're joking at all. Um, that's been like the, that's been the, the driving force for keeping abortion as legal as possible, but keeping it away from impoverished communities and specifically communities of color, unless it's weaponized by, the government mm-hmm. or special interest groups to take away choice from those communities. 
mm-hmm. um like you know it's the the political debate surrounding abortion in general um has always been about like you know how it's it's never been about anything other than the concern of um upper middle class white women yeah and, and yeah and that's certain that um that's certainly true that's certainly reflected in a lot of what i read about um you know abortion in the the 19th and like early 20th century is like it was always framed around like again like as you say like upper class like white women right and the th- the other thing that to keep in mind is um you know functionally like abortion has been kind of made de facto unobtainable in a lot of states correct yeah um like where i am for example in wyoming there's there's one abortion clinic um there's actually like not really reproductive health clinics anywhere even mm-hmm. even there's a a a surprising as surprisingly few crisis pregnancy centers are here and i think that that's simply just because there aren't any um actual reproductive health clinics here um, right and you know that's because there there used to be several there used to be one in casper there used to be one in cheyenne there used to be one in lander um and now it's just in jackson and the the notable thing about jackson wyoming is that that is where the billionaires are that's where right. kanye west <laughs> lives for half the year like <laughs> um and and so like that's the place only in western wyoming is this actually accessible to anybody and that's because like you know uh smaller time clinics and even planned parenthood can't really counter all of the the weird restrictions that have been put in place or like when i was living in arizona arizona has some of the most restrictive laws in the country um mm-hmm. and th- these these laws aren't outright banning abortion because they can't uh what they do is they they set in place like 48 hour waiting periods um like there is in arizona and in wyoming where um you can't go and just get an abortion the same day you have to have like two or three days where you can go see a doctor wait for a minute and then come back and have your procedure and then go somewhere where you can recover um and so like if you live in flagstaff arizona you have to drive four hours to get to phoenix and have two days off and also be able to get a hotel room um Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to eat those lost wages and so it's not Mm -hmm. accessible specifically for northern arizona people um that are going to be like you know rural poor people and specifically indigenous communities don't have access to care. Mm -hmm. Um, And also there's, there's a, there was a federal act that was passed in like the sixties that banned native Americans from using their own medicine um, as a, um, a health structure on reservation land. And so like that was just an, an intervention by the United States government to keep people from being able to administer healthcare within their own communities as their community saw fit. Jesus. Um, yeah. And so like, that's meanwhile, they're not getting any care from the fucking U S no, we are the U S don't give a fuck dog shit. <laughs> yes. Wandered off the point a little, I think because obviously we both feel uh, very passionate about this particular subject, um, which I will not apologize for. And um, I guess maybe we should kind of get into the f- the film itself, we've talked about it a little bit. The funny, the funniest thing to me is that, um, the movie starts off with a brief, uh, you know, a brief, uh, disclaimer that says all of the material in this film is authentic. 
which is hilarious on its face. Right, I, mean, I believe you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, like it's again, it is pure propaganda. This was made as propaganda. <laughs> this disclaimer at the beginning of my videos is raising a lot of questions already answered by my disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah, um and as as you watch the film, um particularly the ultrasound parts, um like it it really does kick off your bullshit meter. I think if you're not already like in the bag for um you know, the pro-life movement or watching this at Catholic school or something. Um, and I think we can talk a little bit about how, um, you know, some of the ultrasound footage is like kind of manipulated, but we'll get to that. This movie is easily available on YouTube. Um, if you want to subject yourself to it, it is kind of a fascinating historical document. Um, and, you know, in spite of the movement that it's a part of having, moved on quite a bit like it's still extremely relevant you still will hear a lot of the same language you'll see the same weaponization of medical imagery um don't read the comments though they're a fucking nightmare did you see the youtube comments on this one i don't look no <laughs> i'm not doing that <laughs> yeah that, that's that's smart um and I think that the i think that the distributor of this is rosary films which like of course it is yeah, um, you can't you can't really talk about the anti-abortion movement without talking about Catholicism, which and we're probably we're probably going to end up getting a rep as like the anti-Catholic film podcast. But I don't really give a fuck at this point. That's fine. I like as a human being in general, I'm like the anti-Protestant person. So, uh. yeah, I mean, we, we've gone pretty hard on, on religion on the podcast before, like, especially um, Catholicism. I mean, you know, to be fair, we also took on the evangelical movement with our uh, our episode of The Burning Hell. But you know what? Fuck them. Um, yeah, they're so, all the same shit. Whatever. Yeah. So uh, thanks, Rosary Films, for teaching us all how to laugh again. But, um, Melly, do you want to talk maybe a little bit about the the phrase silent scream and, like, the actual veracity of such a thing? Yeah, okay, so um, the the procedure that we're ostensibly watching is a, a 12-week fetus. Uh, before he actually starts showing you the film, he's like, this is this is a fetus, it's healthy. Um, it Or he's like, this is the child, it's healthy. You can see that it has <laughs> arms and legs. And um, actually at 12 weeks, he was like, it's about eight, eight inches long, which is, that's just factually incorrect. Like, I was really shocked oh, by did that. Did he really say that? Eight inches? Yeah, I think he meant centimeters. <laughs> well, like, like, I don't, you know, I don't think Bernard does second takes, so. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, so so it's it's much smaller than he's saying. And also, as as he's talking uh, about the, the ultrasound footage, he's holding a... Um, a, a fake like one of those plastic fetuses mm -hmm. um, that's from much longer like further on like this one is like from like 24 weeks um so actually like this this fetus that we're looking at it, and he like all of the little plastic fetuses that he has with him he's like this one is six weeks look at how small it is but it's still like a perfectly formed baby and this was like this is very characteristic of something that they do where they they like to um they like to take what a fetus actually looks like and then sort of anthropomorphize it more. Mm -hmm. um, and so he talks about bones. There aren't bones. It's cartilaginous tissue um, mm -hmm. that will develop eventually into bones. And it's, you know, 
because of how it can actually it, it it's forming joints. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a certain amount of mobility that the fetus actually has, but its arms are still attached to its body and its fingers. Like mm. it, it doesn't, um, it's like the digitalis on the fingers, like of what will later become fingers um, are like single individual, like uh, little fibers that don't have joints or individual bones in them and are completely inseparable from what would later become like, you know, the, the bones in the forearm. Um, or they're humorous. And um, the the silent scream I thought was really, really interesting because at 12 weeks, a uh, fetus doesn't have a mouth. There's not, there's not like an opening. I have no mouth and I must scream. <laughs> <laughs> um, it can, it can move its, it can move a jaw. Like a, a, the mandible is, is in enough formation where it can like, you know, it can uh, open and close to some degree and it probably is moving, but basically like all of this, he's like, it's, you can see that it's spasming to get away and that it's afraid. Um, it doesn't have enough brain tissue to feel fear. Like that's just, that's just categorically true. What it does have are nerve endings that are firing off. Um, and like within like the womb itself, it's going to physically reposition itself for, for safety purposes. That's just like, that's all cells do this. Amoeba do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um so it's reacting like it's it's electrical impulses that are firing in reaction to physical stimuli um mm-hmm. but it's not fear and it's not trying to get away from anything because it doesn't have sense of self or place um it doesn't have you can he was like you can you can see the eyes but you can't see the eyes and he backs that one up which i thought was really really funny he was like yeah he says the orbit yeah it's the orbit of the eyes because there's nothing that could actually register light at this point and mm-hmm. there aren't enough it's like there's not enough development for like um ocular nerve endings to be able to fire off anything um so basically what your reaction what you're looking at is a series of electrical reactions um and you know he's talking he was like well maybe the the um the fetus has had a heartbeat for over eight weeks now which they love the heartbeat would put the heartbeat at beginning at four weeks which is really interesting because the heart doesn't actually develop. Um, and like, this is, this is something that you see right now when it comes to things like heartbeat bells, because there's a pulse yes. and it's just an electric pulse that's happening inside of, um, inside of just in a, a developing organism. Um, but it, that's not indicative of an actual organ functioning. It's literally just an electrical current. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I want And that's one thing that I, I really wanted to point out because again, like you do see that language used a lot as they love the idea of the heartbeat and it's, it's, it's very purposeful because, um, the, the language, you know, the heart is like very, again, it's like not just a simple description of an organ. It's very charged emotional language. You know, we have so many like, um, you know, mental and emotional associations with the knowledge of the heart. Yeah, know? we have and like this concept that that's where the soul is. Yeah, in spite of, um, you know, living in the very technologically advanced 21st century, you know, we we still have these sentimental notions of, you know, the soul and, and the heart, the heart being like the source of, of love and affection and, you know, the softer emotions. So, you know, if you describe an organism is having a heart, you know, that's, that's obviously like a very charged sentence, right? Yeah. There. And people really latch onto it. Like, um, so, so as an activist, like I've been, um, 
I worked really closely. I oversaw the, the clinic escorts in Arizona and we would go and stand between um, the clinic and the sidewalk um, or events that were, that were pro-abortion and protesters that were outside. And like, there was this one instance that will always stick with me forever. This lady who's effectively just um, kind of, she was defending the idea of subjecting an eight-year-old to a full-term pregnancy. Um, and the Ugh. way that she defended this was by screaming, a heartbeat is a heartbeat, asshole. A heartbeat is a heartbeat. Which is really, really interesting because it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, the, and it's been, it's been so long since I took, um, you know, honors anatomy in high school or whatever. But um, like the, the adult human heartbeat is like this really sophisticated series of like electrical signals, correct? Like as right. opposed to like the pulsation of the early, the forming heartbeat of the fetus. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to explain because like, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a physiologist. Um, but like, you know, from what I understand from not just reading, but also watching like ultrasound videos and things like that, like, um, and being educated by, you know, clinic doctors, um, it's, it's just an electrical impulse. Like it's that simple. It's not indicative of a larger organ structure. So it's not a heartbeat because there's no beat. There's no heart to beat. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, and you know, the movie is full of these, uh, you know, examples of, again, the emotionally charged language, you know, he evokes the, the tiny valves of the heart. Like it doesn't have valves at this point. Nope. Doesn't just straight up. Doesn't <laughs> um, like, Dude, like, its arms are moving like, around. Its arms are literally like still attached to its body. It I has actually, some mobility, um, but it can't. It it's not going to reach out its arms into space because it they aren't separate yet. I actually did not know that about the arms still being attached. That's fascinating to me. Um, one thing that I want to talk about, which I think kind of um, started the discussion down this road of um, you know scientific evidence against abortion, is uh, you know a couple of um, of things that appeared in the early 60s. There was a book called The First Nine Months of Life, which um, had photos of the developing fetus. And there was, and I think a couple or three years later, there was a, a life essay with photographs by Leonard Nilsson, um, which depicted supposedly the child in the womb. Um, now, I was pretty familiar with these images because uh, my grandparents had a bunch of like time life books, you know, so I remember looking at these images with some interest, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, the fetus in various stages of de development, like in the placenta, you know, the amniotic sac, um, you know, kind of floating in space. And, you know, as I got older, you start asking yourself, like, how did he get these photographs? Like, do you go like inside a pregnant woman and it's it's funny because there's actually um there actually isn't a lot of consensus on how you know i can't speak to the to the um the first nine months of life book but the nilsen photographs um i was seeing conflicting things on how he actually got the photographs um you know um that they were pitched as like a look at living fetuses in the womb but i believe that they were that a lot of them were actually products of miscarriages yeah and um you get this actually so so when 
when anti-abortion people show up with their like gigantic signs of <laughs> biz care or of of like what they're trying to say are uh the products of abortion and mm-hmm. a lot of this video specifically where you saw more more fully developed fetuses um in like in jars or on countertops and things like yeah, that. Yeah, bucket of babies. Those <laughs> almost always, especially if you're looking at photographs from the 80s or the 70s, those are specifically they're miscarriages. Those are horrible things that happen to people that actually wanted to bring a child to term. Yes. A lot of the the records that you'll see in a lot of these images are are basically just like stolen imagery um from ob ob offices that are then tagged as being just like bucket of babies of abortion um but really like you know there's i i've read a couple of articles of just like women who who started giving birth like in a barn um uh at like 20 weeks or something like that extremely far away from doctors and like for some reason there was a photographer there that took a picture of their fetus and that's one of the biggest um that's one of the most widely used images because the doc, like the, the small town doctor that came to facilitate this horrible miscarriage, like really fucked up the baby in the process. Um, and like, so, and it's on like this, this ugly wooden table because this miscarriage literally happened in a barn away from sanitary equipment. Mm -hmm. And, um, like this is, you see this image all the time still today. And that's, that's like, that's the product of not, First of all, not an intended abortion, mm-hmm. um, but also like like bad healthcare as a system. <laughs> yeah, Which, like in a in a in a just world, this woman wouldn't have had this incredibly traumatizing experience, like in a fucking barn, right? And also in a just <laughs> world, these people wouldn't have been able to get that photograph and use it for their stupid ass political purposes and respected the trauma that this woman went through. Yeah, and that's so fascinating to me because. Um, you know the they're they're weaponizing um this very traumatic event and you know the footage uh, or the photos that are used in the film are basically deployed as jump scares mm-hmm. which um you know i i I'm, I'm not opposed to the to a a well executed jump scare in a horror movie there's a there's a debate in um uh, you know amongst people who watch horror movies today about like whether jump scares are good or not i think that they could be effective but here they're being used in the service of pure propaganda very exploitively um you know you'll see and you know i am someone like i've seen some fucked up shit on the internet yeah <laughs> like over the last couple decades you know and i've you know i've like i've seen i've seen gore you know i've seen like our watch people die or whatever and you know, the moment that those photos appear on the screen, like, I still get that weird jump in the pit of my stomach when I see the, you know, the face of, like, a, you know, a dismembered fetus in a fucking bucket. Because it's also, in, it, you know, it's also accompanied by a fucking musical sting. Right. You know, like, as, get it? You know, it's like, well, oh, dude, Jesus Christ, like, what the fuck are you doing? It, it's so cheap. It's it's very cheap and there's also like no context for it so you don't actually know what those things are about but it's it's successfully conveying the message of like look at this horrible thing that happens all the time. And um one thing that I thought was really interesting about you know as he's going through and looking at all of these just really depressing images mm-hmm. um uh 
like none of them are they're all like 20 weeks or later all of them mm-hmm. um, and um those and you know what is called i th- i think um unfairly called a uh, partial birth abortion that's um, not real <laughs> yeah abortions after a certain um uh, point are vanishingly rare are they not yeah you know it's literally like something like one percent of abortions happens after um after 26 weeks and 26 weeks is still incredibly late like um most of them and it, it, it it's again like an issue of of um access um because you know as the time between a person being able to recognizing that they're pregnant and being able to get an abortion progresses the abortion becomes um it becomes more expensive and like this isn't something that people just casually do like if you if you want to have a third trimester abortion there's a couple reasons for it one of them is that you didn't know that you were pregnant um Mm -hmm. that perhaps you had like bad medical advice going up to that that you just weren't aware um, and there's a whole TLC series about that kind of thing. Less people think that it doesn't happen. You know, I didn't know I was pregnant. Right. And it, it actually does happen pretty frequently, but that's a fa- that's a failure of our medical system and not, you know, these yes. individuals. Um, yeah, but you were saying. And, and, you know, after a certain threshold of viability, like, a doctor is just going to deliver a child. Like... Mm-hmm. Like if 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 the baby can exist outside of the womb, it's probably just going to be a birth. Um, and so you know if there's a psychological or medical reason for somebody, um, in you know the later stages of pregnancy to need to end the pregnancy, mm-hmm. what that usually results in is a birth. Um, when you have later pregnancy abortions that that are taking place, um, in it's almost exclusively in the case where the fetus wouldn't survive anyway outside of the womb. Right. Um, and there's like one clinic in America that'll do it. That's in Boulder, Colorado. Um, it's one guy who's, Mm -hmm. who's able to do all of this. Like, you know, they inject, they like literally stick you through your stomach and, um, there's an injection. It's like diax prone or something um that then like it'll just the the fetus dies and then it's removed you know people that's a that's a traumatic thing to go through for Mm -hmm. for people who are expecting to have healthy and viable um children and like it's almost always for a medical reason that that happens Mm -hmm. um you know or you know what one of the big talking points, especially this like came out in January. So I think there was like some memo that went around um, about post birth abortion, which is a thing that people seem to think exists. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a whole, that was a cultural clusterfuck, which happened earlier this year. Right. And I mean, it's been like ongoing for a little while. There was a, there was a weird congressional hearing in 2012 where a, a couple of white congressmen were asking Planned Parenthood representatives, like what happens if you, um, if if a doctor delivers a fetus and it's still alive, that doesn't happen <laughs> right. um, in most of these cases. And if it did, like you call the hospital, there's there was a whole thing in Arizona where like this 13 week old, uh, this 13 week uh, fetus 
was delivered and there was still electrical impulses happening. And because of Arizona state law, the the clinic had to call 911 and get an ambulance to come and get this thing and pick it up and take it to the hospital where it was declared dead. But the pro-life people heard about it like almost immediately because the 911 dispatcher was like, it's a freaking miracle and told all of his stupid friends. And 13 um, weeks, 13 weeks. Yes. This thing was dead. It was, it was literally just like, if you, if there, if, if the fetus exhibits any movement, which like, it's literally just like a spasm. That, that is, yeah, because 13 weeks, that is not fucking viable. No. <laughs> like, that's just laughable to you're me. You're not getting, you're not getting viability until like 24 weeks. Like, yeah. And even then it's still going to be dubious. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that, a lot of those decisions about what that viability actually looks like depends on the, the healthcare the quality of like the mm-hmm. health insurance of the person who's actually giving birth, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and prematurity is like no joke either. Like it's that's no. uh, like you obviously have to sit in an egg. <laughs> yeah, like um, obviously premature babies, like they've um, I become more able to survive a little bit earlier. But you know, like you still you haven't finished cooking. I mean, like right, <laughs> it's it's a uh, you know, I mean, I know people who were born premature and, you know, it does have like a, you know, they're normal people, but, you know, there's always like a ca- kind of a cascade of medical effects that goes along with it. So, right. you know, it's, it's, it's not trivial. No, you can, ha- you can grow up into a, a healthy human individual um, mm-hmm. if you were born premature. But like, you know, people that are like our age, right, that were born premature, when they say that they were born like three weeks premature, right? Right, right. Um, And that's significantly different than, I don't know, 12 weeks. Right, exactly. Yeah, like, that's, that's, like, that's insane to me. But, you know, I mean, the, the anti-abortion movement will, like, seize on anything, no matter how ridiculous, to, you know, further cause. And that's the whole point of this, this fucking piece of shit film that we're discussing right now. Yeah, exactly. You know, we were talking a little bit about the, uh, you know, his, uh, Nathanson's description of the ultrasound and also, um, you know, his description of the actual procedure of abortion, which the way it's presented in this film is extremely funny to me because he's doing it with little plastic models Mm -hmm. and the actual medical instruments. And it was like, I was just cracking myself up imagining like the takes where, you know, the forceps like slipped off like the the fake fetus or whatever (laughs) and like fell on the ground. But, you know, but, you know, he, he demonstrates how it happens with, uh, you know, the actual medical instruments. And I got to say, like, it's, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, it's a medical procedure. Like what, what am I supposed to get out of that? Which, you know, and that's probably why they were very excited to get this ultrasound footage, which, you know, with narration to explain it to the layperson is supposedly like very horrifying or whatever. But, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of the absurdity of like a 12 week fetus, you know, emoting or having any kind of purposeful movement, which is it doesn't you have know, lungs with which to scream either. <laughs> and there's no air in there. So, no. you know, like you're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to move your vocal cords that haven't developed yet. Um, uh, but, you know, there's actually, you know, when he's talking over the ultrasound and he actually says at one point, the child is moving in a much more purposeful manner. Now, purpose implies, like, higher brain function right. to form purpose. Like, that, that isn't a thing. 
Purpose is indicative of self. Yeah, which the, the, the fetus does absolutely does not have. He claims that it does sense aggression, which how? It doesn't. Um, and it's funny because like that, um, and you know, maybe that goes back to what you were talking about, about like the, you know, the aggressive movement of the abortionist with the instrument in the, the, the footage, you know, like, um, <laughs> you know, like, which was what, hilarious. Like, yeah. Like what medical professional is going to aggressively perform a medical procedure? Right. It's is that what it looks like when they take out like a gallbladder? Do they stab the gallbladder a whole lot, like multiple times? Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that you mentioned this because um, this was something that occurred to me while researching um, for this episode. We're we're kind of in a we're in a moment culturally right now where another hot button topic is is trans people, and at least in the UK, I've heard accounts of TERFs, uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists, um, using gory pictures of gender reassignment surgery to kind of be like, oh, look, look at how terrifying this is. Right. And, you know, it struck me because like, you know, at the same time I was researching the silent scream and, you know, I've been by um, pro-life protests where, you know, they have their, their fucking gore pictures, you mm -hmm. know, intended to, to trigger anyone. And if you look at any medical procedure performed on the human body that involves any kind of surgery or medical instruments, like, it's all fucking horrifying. Yeah, it's if gross. If you look at it. <laughs> I mean, like, if you look at a, uh, you know, like, just look at a video of LASIK surgery. Yeah. You know? you know, not many people can actually watch a procedure on the human eyeball without cringing. There are a lot of people who cannot fucking watch that. I mean, you know. Pimple popping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, which is let's become all become anti-dermatologists and take pictures of pimples being drained and like cysts <laughs> being vacuumed out. There is so much gore available <laughs> to the, to the to the ghoulish observer online, and these procedures are just like a small part of it. Um, there's another. There was a follow-up film to this called The Eclipse of Reason, which it shows footage of a dilation and evacuation. Which I was like, oh shit, this is gonna be the good shit, right? Well, I watched the footage and I and. You know, again, like, maybe I'm biased, but I was like, okay. Yeah, know. it's just a, you're, like, <laughs> great. Am I a medical student? Like, what am I gleaning from this? Yeah, like, and we're we're supposed to be horrified by seeing the baby parts, like, and you know, I mean, it is it is frank and, and graphic. You know, it's a it's a it's a DNA, and you know, the instruments go in, and you know, they take out the the chunks of the fetus. There's a point where you can see ribs, which they freeze frame on. Cool. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, that's supposed to be the point where you're like, oh my god, this is terrible, they've murdered a child. And I'm like, well, no, like, they broke apart a fetus yeah, and removed it from the uterus. Because it wasn't going procedure. to be viable anyway. The shock footage of, of things like that and the ability to, like, create these videos where you're actually looking into a thing and seeing it move. The, the film is structured in such a way that um, it's implied that this thing itself has some form of independence. Like especially in the 80s with all of these images being popularized of the remnants of an abortion or a miscarriage and things like that. All of them have to do with, and also like the plastic, the, the little plastic babies that he has that are just different sizes of the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, they're very like specific propaganda structures that are utilized by the pro-life movement to create the idea that of of personhood that's happening inside of a womb, right? Um, mm -hmm. All of these things are just supposed to create 
you know, this horror, not simply because it's another being that's dying, but because it's specifically a human being. This movement of the popularization of all of these images, even though it was like, it was very edgy, it was considered gauche, like, oh, wow, these are brutal, but necessary things that you're showing us. Um, this movement is called the the public fetus, creating a person of like a non-person entity that people can then like project their own human emotions and feelings onto. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, this is the silent scream. It's that, that goes hand in hand with the pro-life tagline. I'm speaking for those who don't have a voice. You know, they're able to bring out these images and, and show what this very personal and physical thing that's happening inside of a human being's body. They're able to detach the human mm-hmm. being's body from the procedure that's happening from the development of the fetus that's actually happening and isolate the fetus itself. And so it becomes like the concept of a fetus becomes a public entity. The idea of a human being sort of like a cartoon character or something like that, that you can latch your emotions onto. And like, I have this personal theory that like, you know, one of the reasons that people are so weird about this in such a very specific way because if all of these people honestly thought that that this was like this horrible holocaust that was happening they wouldn't sit as passively by as they do they wouldn't stand on the sidewalks like they do and there's a certain Mm -hmm. amount of people who do rush into clinics with guns and things like that um you know (laughs) colorado springs three years ago um four years ago almost yeah but but there would be so much more mobilization against that if it wasn't if it wasn't abstracted in this weird way. And so like my theory is that the fetus becomes sort of like an artifice of the individual pro-life person's grief themselves. So like a lot of these people, they're, they're primarily going to be right-wing individuals who have evangelical bootstraps ideology. Like, so any problems that they have are either attributable to themselves that they should be able to fix on their Mm -hmm. own. Um, But they also like, you know, people feel isolated and poor and helpless all the time, Um, including these individuals, like their, their parents whose kids won't talk to them anymore. And so they're able to take this abstracted idea of a human being that they can see and that they can speak for and project all of their interior issues onto that as like a, a thing worth fighting for. That's going to solve their problems if they fix these like created blank slate issues. Like a fetus is basically a tabula rasa for somebody with a grief. And like um, I've read a little bit of your writing on on Medium about this. You know, one of the things that you pointed out is a lot of these are very lonely middle-aged people kind of working out their own sadnesses and trauma. Right. Like, through a Because they can't, they can't say that they actually have problems. They have Christ and Christ is really all that they need. Yeah. Um, you know, if they're... If they're going through economic yeah. problems, then why haven't they picked themselves up by their bootstraps and fixed those problems yet? Because there has to be an other. Yeah. And there has to be something else that's going on. You know, that's interesting because um, it's it's interesting, like, these different representations of the fetus that we get. And most of them are mendacious. Like, you have, you know, and you know, the way that they're depicted in the film, you know, you have your little, little plastic model, which is, you know, it's supposed to evoke feelings in you that, you know, this is like an actual infant that, you know, needs protecting. You have the ultrasound imaging, which is supposed to depict emotions and movements that 
the fetus as it is is not capable of. You know, you have like the public fetus that you've just described, the blank slate that people project their own issues onto. And then finally, you have the the gore that people apparently like really love to see. Um, we talked a little bit about this in our episode about the burning hell, where evangelicals are like really into horror tropes if it can serve their purpose of, you know, frightening people and, um, you know, spreading their oh, right. evangelical message. The morality of showing these these images is like really not, you know, taken into consideration like these private medical moments you know the pain of the people who actually experience those things is, doesn't matter like except as a means to an end and i guess i'm fascinated by it because you know as someone who was actually traumatized in high school by a gory uh, auto safety class it literally took me years to recover from that experience like i find the deployment of shock images like so fascinating and you know, they're often deployed with very little regard to the people seeing them. And, you know, again, like pro-life protesters, like they don't fucking care if kids see this shit. No. You know, before they're ready. And, and they'll set these things up on college campuses. Or yeah. like, you know, they'll, they'll visit high schools if high schools are like Catholic and invite them. Or, you know, if they're in mm-hmm. rural areas, like they'll hand out materials with the stuff on them. There's a lack of... I, I've always thought that it's very interesting that, that they're willing to just show these things and you know ostensibly they care about um the death that's actually going on in this like whatever they Mm -hmm. they they believe that death actually looks like um but they're able to to wield it with such a reverence for the images themselves and for what they are supposed to be considering persons in those photographs um and there was let's see it was like last fall or something there was a I think it was live action set up on the Glendale Community College campus. And they had this gigantic octagon of like billboard sized posters of, yeah, you've got the fetuses, right? You've got the one next to the dime. You've got the little baby hand. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You've got the one with its jaw severed from the rest of its head. Um, But the thing that I thought was really interesting was that they were juxtaposing these with images specifically um, from the Holocaust and of lynchings. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And they were just up there. There's huge blown up photographs that these people are using, like, just completely irreverently. They're not displaying that they have any form of concern for human life of any variety other than, like, this weird fixation on other people and hypotheticals, which, again, drives my idea that, like, they don't actually give a shit. <laughs> Yeah, and as someone who has lived with conservatives my whole life, like I was a conservative up until roughly college, I I know to my bones that these people are deploying these images and these concepts of, you know, um, racial and social injustice, like completely cynically. Because the only time that you see conservatives talking about, you know, anti-Semitism or, you know, racial injustice or any of the rest of it is to score cheap rhetorical points. Right. You know, it's like they don't they don't give a fuck about the history of lynchings in the US. No. Like they don't it's care all, about the Holocaust. Yeah, it's a it is strictly a gotcha point 
to deploy against the libs. And, you know, that's why you have this very crass display of, you know, it's like the PETA holocaust on your plate. And it's like, you know, yeah, factory farming is extremely bad, but I am not going to compare it to the genocide of the Jewish people. Like, it's just not the fucking same thing. Um, it's, It's also not a story for evangelicals to tell. Like, it's not theirs. So, and also the way that they talk about it is like... The Holocaust specifically, the, the the way that they actually integrate it into their rhetoric is really fascinating to me because, like, a lot they treat it like a competition. Mm-hmm. And, like, that if if you, I mean, the gotcha thing of, like, oh, so you care about the Holocaust. Well, then why don't you care about this? But it has this added, like, like extra facet to it that's, like, well, the Holocaust was only 6 million people. And this one is 50 million people a year globally. Yeah, which is which is so fucked up. <laughs> That's in, it's just insane. That is a horrible thing to do, and and the fact that they're able to do it with this like weird smugness is just yeah, in, it, it's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't have to explain to the listeners like exactly why that's fucked up, but I mean, it's like the yeah, and that was in my notes is um, you know, one of the other uh, tropes that pro life people really love is um, high numbers, mm-hmm. um, because then they can equate it to a genocide. And right. again, it's like it's 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 very cheap. I mean, um, you know, in the film itself, I think there's a there's a card that they put up, which is, you know, shows the um, there were this many thousands of abortions that occurred illegally before Roe versus Wade. Now it's like one point. Year. Yeah. Now now it's one point five million. It's like, yeah, no shit. If a procedure is legalized, you're going to get more of it. Well, also, you can't <laughs> you're not going to adequately be able to track what the number of illegal abortions is. Nobody's exactly. reporting that. You don't have that information. You yeah. have an estimate, and it's a really rough, probably very conservative estimate. Yeah, and um, I mean, and like anybody who's read about like the 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 history of abortion, because pro-choice rhetoric for so long has been strictly in reaction to you know pro-life people kind of dictating the terms of the discussion. So a lot of pro-choice rhetoric has been framed as, you know, around these narratives of, um, you know, gravity and tragedy and the, the horrors of the, the illegal abortion, which is certainly a thing when was, and was certainly bad. Certainly still is. Exactly. But, you know, to speak in, you know, pro-choice terms of, you know, abortion as, you know, always this, this tragedy or this, um, this horrible thing, this horrible necessity, mm-hmm. I think is really not helpful. And again, I feel like it's, it's, again, it's being di- uh, dictated by kind of like the pro-life language. It's where things like no, nobody wants an abortion. Right. Yeah, this is the hardest decision a woman will ever make. It's safely and rare. Um, Yes. You know, I mean, and and you're right. Like, I mean, look at the the terms that we actually use to discuss the the two opposing sides of this, right? You've got pro-life and you've got Mm pro-choice. Pro-life was something that was, that they came up with shortly after Roe versus Wade um, as like, um, 
you know, Operation Rescue and things like that came into to a more coherent con- uh, coagulation, especially with like the rise of the um, socially conservative movement um, and the consolidation of the religious right. Mm-hmm. Um, pro-choice was thought up by a think tank 15 years later. They were like, that, it, it took that I'm long. I'm so unsurprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a very, it is a very think tank kind of framing. <laughs> right. And that's the way that, because, so, so for pro-abortion people, right after Roe, everything sort of split in half. And like, um, because women of color, queer women, um, poor women in underserved communities were all immediately just abandoned by the extremely wealthy, high rolling, um, like very white driven upper class mm-hmm. to, to wealthy um, uh, organizations like, and sorry, NARAL and Planned Parenthood. Um, yeah. That, that only that, that they specifically wanted to, to try and woo away some conservative women. Um, from their staunch position of being pro-life and they have never had success with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and so that's, that's what I like to call, that's the pro-choice movement. There's the other yes. movement, which has been going on this entire time that until recently hasn't gotten any attention because it's not about rich white women. Um, and that's mm-hmm. reproductive justice and reproductive justice has so much more nuance to it because of the communities that it's, that it's seeking to serve. Um, because of like it actually has an ingrained philosophy rather than we want to uphold Roe versus Wade. Like reproductive justice is about bodily autonomy and being able to control and make your own decisions. Um, mm-hmm. And you know it's it goes both ways on this, but it's fundamentally like anti-capitalist in that like you know this it should be free, it should be on demand, yes. but also this isn't just about abortion um, because. Um, reproductive rights are so much broader than than what abortion is, especially because in a lot of underserved communities of color before the Roe decision and things like that, um, the problem wasn't getting access to abortion. It was like staving off the government from forced sterilizing you because you were poor. Yeah. Um, and all of these things are actually inherently intertwined. And it's about, you know, looking at how reproductive justice works or how reproduction works in um, the United States and, and how we can actually create um, a more ethical and just world where people can have full control over their bodies and nobody's forcing them to make any important decisions with them. Um, yeah. And so, like, you know, and you only, this has really only become a prominent idea in the last, like, 10 to 15 years. Um, and that inclusivity includes trans people, <laughs> Um, yes, because they should be able to everybody should be able to do what they want with their bodies without somebody telling them like short of suicide. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's you can't be forced to do something with your body that you shouldn't want to do. Um, and the pro-choice movement wasn't having any of this because this is a radical concept, like talking mm-hmm. about free abortion on demand. Well, who's going to pay for it? That's a that's a big issue. And their mm-hmm. preoccupation was with middle class white women um, that might be more socially conservative, hopefully coming to their aid when they needed it. And it's never happened. And so that's yes. why you get things like safe, legal, and rare, because they want to sit in the middle and they want to waffle on it. And they want to be like, oh, well, you know, there really is a more nuanced take on it. But like, then you get caught up in these really obnoxious debates. Like, 
well, when does life actually happen? When is abortion actually permissible? How many weeks? When does life begin? Should it be at a heartbeat? When can they feel pain? All of these things that are directed about the fetus itself. And the pro-choice movement is always caught off guard and they're always talking in defense. Like, you know, everything is an attack on our rights now rather than like we haven't had these rights to begin with. It's just been a Supreme Court decision. That's that's all great because that's exactly where I wanted to bring it to. And most importantly, that really highlights why I feel the way I do about abortion access. And the big point that I want people to take away is that in all of these discussions of the fetus, personhood, does it feel pain? At what point is it even a person? We are completely ignoring the person with the uterus Right. <laughs> Who should be at the center of the discussion. Like, again, you know, this, this film, The Silent Scream, um, you know, we see women at a couple of points in the film, you know, you see a, a happy woman getting an ultrasound, you know, I assume for like her wanted infant. And then we see some very sad women at the end who I guess are, you know, are just sit around all day contemplating how much they regret their abortions. Right. And, you know, certainly there are, there are people who regret you know, having their abortion for whatever reason. But, you know, how many people get the procedure and then move on with their lives and are able to move on with their lives because they had an abortion? Right. And also, like, it's so invasive to show an ultrasound procedure of somebody who's not really even mentioned other than her great regret that she has. Right? Yes. Um, Like, women... Well, pregnant people in general... Um, people with uteruses are generally just considered like nodes of regret. Um, and that's it. Yes. That's like the, that's the culmination of their, their entire personality. And have you ever heard of like, you know, the, the violinist argument? I read this when I was like 16 and it's the thing that like really blew up <laughs> my brain. Um, no, you know, my body, my choice is only so coherent of an argument until you really start to break it down and investigate it. Um, and, you know, because the the rebuttals from the pro-life movement are going to be like, well, what about their body? What about their choice? And mm-hmm. the pro-choice, pro-choice people in general um, will sometimes, like, they, they basically you can just look at what um, the Roe decision actually says. And in the Roe decision, it literally says, like, the state has an investment. Uh, the state can decide to have an investment in um, the potential life. And... So that's the 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 idea of a potential life is something that pro-choice people often waffle with because they don't really have like a very sound argument for, well, what if it isn't a person? Um, and the violinist argument is basically like if the best violinist in the entire world um, needed to be hooked up to your kidneys specifically for some weird medical reason um, and you had to lie in bed with him for nine months um, – Well, I mean, it starts out with, like, if you had to lie in bed with him for the rest of your life in order for the violinist to stay alive, would you do it? And the answer is no, right? (laughs) Right. Well, what if you had to do it for nine years? And it's like, well, no, I wouldn't do that either because that's nine years of my life that I'm giving for what? And Mm -hmm. that, like, for another human being? Well, I, nobody can force me to make that decision. Like, like, and nobody rationally would. Um, and so like, what's the difference between nine years and nine months, honestly, if we're making that decision? Is it, is it really just a matter of time? Is it a matter of timing mm-hmm. that you can turn over your body to somebody else and just let them, uh, like, let somebody else's, 
medical requirements just completely co-opt your body? Like, what does that slippery slope actually look like? Right? Can we just start harvesting organs from people forcibly? Like, yeah. And again, um, pregnancy being a function of life and reproduction, which I think should be seen neutrally, you know, like it's a fact, um, but it is not trivial either. Um, there are costs to the body to actually go through with a pregnancy. I mean, sometimes you can die from it. And in fact, uh, some of us know that in particular, like in the US, like we actually have an embarrassingly bad maternal mortality rate. Yeah, it's the highest in the, de- the quote unquote developed world. Um, it's at literally like um, 13 per 100,000 women, which is insane. That's And it's growing yeah. in Texas. Um, in Texas, among women of color, it's like it's literally like 25. Um, Jesus. And nobody actually. That's insane. So and, and that's just that's just within the, the week and a half following um, or due to due to complications of pregnancy for up to six months. So from mm-hmm. six months to three years later, um, if if uh, mothers die during that period of time, and that's called maternal morbidity. And there's it depends on what the causes are of the death, but nobody's tracking like if the causes of death within that time frame actually have anything to do with postpartum depression or, um, mm-hmm. you know, medical bleed outs uh, or something like breaking a wrist and having it um, heal incorrectly or, um, you know, infections due to nursing, uh, mm-hmm. things like that. Like it, it would skyrocket. Actually, there are reasons that these, that these complications aren't being tracked, that these deaths aren't being tracked because like, it's not just about maternal mortality or maternal morbidity is also like a dire and pressing issue that we can't even tackle because we don't even know how to look at it properly. Right. So it's, it's a lot worse than we think it is. Hence, like, you know, again, this being like, you know, a natural process, which is also like completely like non-trivial, right? (laughs) you know, the pro-choice discussion like does kind of beg the question, you know, of like, there is, um, Certainly, uh, like a, you know, a sop to like bodily autonomy, my body, my choice, etc. But you know, you still find that um, women and people with uteruses are crowded out of the discussion because the discussion is so completely framed around the fetus. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's the same thing with the silent scream. You know, it is entirely focused. It claims to be, and I found this uh, this phrasing very funny. Um, describing the ultrasound we have the technology to see abortion from the victim's perspective which is like cool not well it's like and it's not yeah and it's like not fucking true it's like we're looking at it from like you know we're using technology to look at it from outside the womb like i'm not looking out of the non-existent eyes of this fetus as it gets aborted it's 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 bullshit but again you know it's like we're just talking about the fetus, we're projecting things onto the fetus, and then the way Nathanson ends the film is like he very gravely appeals directly to the camera and says, "Stop the killing." Right. Again, you. What about you know the women that you've used as props? You know something very common that we see a lot today is um, you know the tragic story of the late term abortion of a much wanted pregnancy, and. 
again, like those stories are important and they are very sad, but again, it's like, it's like framing the entire thing as like, oh, like, isn't this, isn't this just terrible? Isn't abortion just like the saddest medical procedure you can imagine? Like, right. It's just tragedy porn. That's all that, that's all that either side is doing just to evoke some emotional response for or against what really, like, I mean, what can be considered like a political issue. That's the way that they're treating this. Um, And, you know, with the questions that we have, because we're asking extremely invasive questions in this Mm -hmm. political debate, right? Like, these are questions about people's, like, extremely intimate internal medical procedures, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And as long as we're telling these stories, and as long as, like, you know, stories are being wielded against one another in this debate, people are going to automatically feel like they have a right to know more about like the condition of whatever is going on. Right. Like this Mm -hmm. is people think that it's like, it's an open door into the, the business of an individual woman's medical decision-making. And so much of this debate comes down to mind your own fucking business. It doesn't matter. You know, what are the motivations for people who get abortions? What, why is that anybody's business? Like, the left is, a, or the, the, the pro-life movement is obsessed with this, but the pro-choice movement also fucking loves it as well. Like, they, they love the tragedy of an extremely poor woman who, you know, already had four kids. And so she needed mm-hmm. uh, an abortion so that she could continue to work all eight of her jobs. There's nothing that suggests that we should <laughs> actually change the condition of that woman's life other than give her an access to an abortion. That's the, that's the pro-choice storytelling method right now. And, you know, from the pro-life perspective, it's like these people don't actually fucking matter unless they're feminists. And then they decided that they're no longer feminists. Right. For people who are asking these questions and people who are inquiring and people who are like, well, you know, what's so important that you would literally sacrifice a human life to keep going? Like, shut up. It's not your business. (laughs) Um, And so I'm always like, you know, things like this make me mad because it it legitimizes the idea that you can literally look inside of somebody else's body. Um, Yeah. And you can make judgments about what's going on inside of that person's body and have them not matter fucking at all. Yeah. Like that's the way that this movie is completely set up. You know, the thing that you mention about the kind of tragedy porn that you see a lot in the, you see it in, you know, and not just like the pro-choice or pro-life discussions, but you also see it in discussions of, uh, you know, the, you know, epidemic of sexual violence that we have in our society. Like for people to take your point of view seriously, it's like you have to disclose, right? You have to relive trauma. You have to be like, well, I was raped or you have to give the absolutely awful details of what actually happened to you, which to me, it's like, I feel like these narratives are important, but, you know, the fact that we demand them as proof of suffering. Right, right. Because is very, is very deeply sick. And I mean, you know, and certainly like the human impulse is like, you know, we love and I've returned to this again, again, we love our gore, we love our trauma, we love to rubberneck. Okay, that's fine. We're awful little curious organisms, but you know, that's not how we should be forming like public policy. Right. (laughs) But it's the way that we, I mean, not to get, not to sound to do too much Foucault here. 
Um, but like <laughs> literally all of, of criminal justice, all of like the creation of laws and things like that hinge on the idea of the confession as being paramount to everything. Right. Um, yes. you have to, you have to have suffered and you have to, um, have reconciled with that suffering. And then you also have to confess it publicly. Like these are all very like inherently like deeply Catholic ideas, I guess we're getting yes, back to that. That's but, like, exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> um, but, but that's like the structure of how judgment in American society actually functions um, is based on the idea of like, no matter whether it, it, it doesn't matter whether or not you're a victim or whether you're the aggressor um, the thing that matters is the, the stating of facts from your perspective so that everybody else can decide which thing that you are because you can't yes. actually like self-identify any of those things. Um, and you have to actually like, you know, go through the trauma of, of public confession so that other people or society can weigh in on that for you. And we are a very punitive society. I mean, like you just have to look at our, you know, the narratives around crime in this country, like our, you know, our carceral system and everything. Like we love punishment. We love what we frame as justice. Yeah. And that's so deeply ingrained into this debate. Yeah. Like, you should keep your legs closed. What decisions mm -hmm. did you make that led to you being pregnant? None of those are anybody's fucking business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and kind of going to like a, and, you know, the whole like Christian framing of, you know, well, like if we're all sinners and Eve ate the apple, <laughs> you know, it's like these are really like deeply ingrained concepts of woman is sinful and that that also forms a lot of our opinions on the abortion debate you know usually the woman is erased from the discussion or she's discussed in the context of sinning or having mad made bad decisions um yeah or being criminal yeah exactly so we've you know we've talked a lot about uh you know, propaganda and the pro-life movement versus the pro-choice movement. We've talked about the newer and more useful framing of reproductive justice. You know, we've evoked class a little bit. Um, we probably haven't talked about it as much as it deserves to be talked about. You know, yeah, the whole, I mean, it's a class issue. Uh, like 100%. And, you know, the, the, you know, the pro-choice movement kind of reflects like the larger political climate right now where there is in general there isn't a lot of um literacy about like class struggle well america is a classless society exactly <laughs> like the the for the pro-choice movement um like when bernie sanders called planned parenthood the establishment it fucking is first of all i worked there yeah. for two years i just want to make that plain and abundantly <laughs> clear it is a multi-billion dollar vertical corporation yes it has yeah, existed I mean, for 110 years. Yeah, it was definitely a why are you booing me, I'm right thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's good that it's established. Also, it's able to do good things with that. Sometimes it does really annoying and bad things. But sometimes yeah. it does very good things with that. I was part of that machine. Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of the way that I feel about it where, um, you know, in the past I have, um, you know, given monthly donations to Planned Parenthood, like, I'm broke as shit right now, but, you know, I, um, before I was broke as shit, I still donated occasionally, um, and I found myself putting a lot of hope in their, um, their size and their pervasiveness, where I'm like, well, I hope they're a large enough bulwark against, like, 
forces that are arrayed against us that they can continue this very fragile like state of like access to abortion in this country. Just for an example with that, like if say that Congress, that Republicans win back the House and they pass a law that Mm -hmm. they pass a national heartbeat bill, right? And that has to go Mm -hmm. to the Supreme Court. Like, for example, the National Network of Abortion Funds doesn't have the legal machine that Planned Parenthood Mm -hmm. does to sue the federal government. And so, like, in in that sense, Planned Parenthood is a very good entity in that it, it can sue the federal government. Really quickly, before I forget, what is the best thing for people to do? Um, if they care about abortion access in the U.S.? Um, I'd say become a clinic escort. Um, like, obviously, there's donations. People are constantly posting links to, to like, Yellowhammer Fund or the National Network of Abortions, uh, Abortion Funds. Um, I, I would say find, like, go on NNAF.org and find, like, not the one that's closest to you. You're in California. All your clinics are fine. Um, like find one in South Dakota. There's one in South Dakota. There's one in North Dakota. There's two in, um, there are two abortion funds in Montana, like, you know, Arkansas, find places where you just don't think about and give money to the abortion funds that are there. Um, and yeah, if you, if you live near a clinic, go and stand out in front of it. Um, put on a pink vest (laughs) and grab an umbrella and you know volunteer with them um and also like yeah that's i mean that's basically pretty much it um there's weird stuff that you can do uh if you really want to get involved like super mutual aidy stuff like you could join um a clinic ride share if you have those in your area and if you don't start one um <laughs> and like like and that's basically just uber but for people who need abortions um auxiliary funds i've i've heard about these coming up but if you want to start one of those that would be awesome um it's not just funds for abortions but it's funds for uh to replace lost wages for people who have to take a week off of work in order to get one there's yeah there's like tons of mutual 80 stuff just follow me on twitter i I yell about it constantly become a doula if you want honestly Yeah, Epona West on Twitter. I highly recommend her timeline. Melly, thank you again so much. This was really Thank you. This was super duper fun.